Welcome back to Naharan America. Our next guest is an American television producer, director, and screenwriter. You've seen his work on The Golden Girls, Roseanne, and The Gilmore Girls, and the film, a very Brady sequel. Ladies and gentlemen, Stan Zimmerman. This is me. Stan, it's so good to hear, hear from you. Let me, we're setting it up right now. Okay. I gotta start putting on my radio voice. All right, we got Stan Zimmerman. Oh, uh, <laughs> I actually don't have a radio that's, voice. That's your radio voice? Oh, uh, yeah. It's like, welcome. Okay. Bismo Beach, the clam. All right. You're listening to the clam. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. That's what I, I do that for my kids when I'm driving by Pismo Beach. I create this DJ who's at Pismo Beach, the clam. And uh, Have you ever done morning radio? I would okay. love to do morning radio because I would You'd actually be so have good, good at that, I would think. I think I'd be good at it, too. I think so. I mean, but look at you. I mean. I'll, I'll be your sidekick. I would love that. I would love that because <laughs> I, I was reading your 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 WikiLeaks and all that stuff. It's some really good stuff. Really good. Crazy, right? Well, you've you've had a life in comedy. There's the only way to explain it. The Palm Springs Comedy Fest. We're in a panel together with Bruce Valange and some amazing, amazing you know people. And I, I, yeah. I, you in particular were, you know, just funny and real and. You know, we talked about you. We had worked on Roseanne, Golden Girls. I mean, I can go on with every you know imaginable show, and also some of the the most f- funny classic sitcom shows. You know, the setup, punchline. Um, I was I was very lucky, very lucky, and but also you know well deserved because you could handle it. You could you could you you know you 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 come from that world, and it's a world I I know as well. I mean, my world mostly a lot was sketch. Um, right. A lot of times I couldn't. It, it was the sketch world was, you know, it was black shows that brought me in. You know, they were the ones because I had a problem when I first started the career is it was so rare for a Latino writer that what they met me, they right. go, let's create a pilot. And I go, yeah, but I really should be on staff. <laughs> but no, no, let's work on a pilot. And I get a pilot deal. And, and but then I would finish the pilot and the network would be like, yeah, but there really isn't any Latino stars we can use or. Nah. Wow. And so you, you yeah. go through that. So I was doing the original stuff. But, you know, I, I must have done four or five pilots for the networks, but they were dying on the vine. They just, you know, there are a lot of times. So I started actually bringing in Latinos and, and saying, I'm going to make them stars. Like my show on Broadway was Eugenio Debez. And I said, he's a star and you guys should see him. And now he's doing quite well. Or even Gabriel Iglesias is in my Latino logs or, you know, I can go on and on. So I had to not only write the show, but I had to create the stars they could be in the show. You know, Lydia Nicole? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working with her daughter, Lexi, now. I love Lydia Nicole. She's really sweet. She's a good person. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Lexi had quite a... An interesting childhood. Mm-hmm. Up. So uh, I just met her. I was doing, um, I was a guest, a podcast radio show, and she was guest hosting. And I'm like, who are you? You're so interesting. And then I just started doing some snooping on her. And I was like, you need to be writing a show. And I was like, I'd love to help you if you wanted some help. And so we actually just pitched it to CBS yesterday. Oh, wow. How, how'd it go? I think it went well. But, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, they would be stupid not to buy it. Uh, it checks all their boxes, but um, they are stupid, so there yes. you go. I, but it's about her being raised. Um, when her mother would leave her, she would leave her with all these, um, like a diverse group of up-and-coming female stand-up comics, you yeah. know, who were struggling and would stay at their house and watch their, her child. So I thought that would be such a you know, like Sherry Shepard and 
Polly's Burke. Polly Shore. That's such an interesting sitcom, Mm -hmm. very Roseanne, for this 10-year-old girl in 1997 to be raised by four diverse up-and-coming comics. Well, it's it's good to see you do that because, you know, I I called CBS the Caucasian Broadcasting Company because (laughs) – it's it hasn't you know you you look at this and you say um there's there's almost a feeling mostly the older networks not so much the the new stuff that's coming out and it's there there's a terror of latino especially i don't know why it's just they would love our stories but they really don't want them you know and they everyone points to desi arnaz and goes oh my god look what he did but you go sorry that was you know what 50 years ago or something? i mean some amazing amount of time to the uh, to to really get latino stars on on the networks and and when they get staffs for latinos very seldom is it really full of latinos i mean they're they're always the white showrunner and there's another mm-hmm. staff and all the their friends and people they know and then there's every once in a while a latino comes in and you know so joey Gutierrez? Yeah, I know Joey. I know Joey. Yeah, yeah he worked on my show um, when he was with Diane mm-hmm. Burroughs before they were together. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So, I mean, so I mean, you have worked with Latino writers. He's so he's such a wonderful guy and so fucking funny. And I mean, it was odd being in a room with you know a couple, you know, and then they literally broke up during an episode. That we had to film. I'm like, can you wait till after we shoot the episode? Don't oh. do it. Oh no! You know? um, but but he, he's a really good guy. Um, well, so where's your studio? The studio right now. We're at uh, Bo Billionaire. He's our pr- producer and sound, and it does everything. And he's really more came out of the rap world, um, and so he's known me for years. He's he's seen me direct and write and everything else, and. During the pandemic, I, I have a show called Latino Thoughtmakers where I introduce, you know, interview Dolores Huerta, um, Edward James Olmos, uh, Danny Trejo, Cheech Marin. A lot of people I've actually worked with most of my life. And so I said, I came up with a very simple, comp, uh, th- you know, saying, Latinos are the solution, never the problem. And uh, it was a simple thing because... Three years ago, or even earlier, I was I was hearing this rhetoric about Latinos. It was you know, build a wall. You know, they're rapists or all these horrible things. And I thought, wow. Normally, they don't say that out loud. They may think it, but now they're saying it out loud. So yes, he was and uh, and is. yeah, and is and that became to me a problem because, like, say, if you look at you know Trump, not to be political, but what the hell, he okay, comes. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. He was you know, comes from a family that never served in the war. You know, you look at all those, those, those guys that, you know, the Limbaugh's, the, you know, Trump's, all, they've never served. And, you know, my father was in Vietnam and World War II. My uncle died in World War II uh, in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. They threw him in a pit and machine gun to death and threw in gas and burnt him up. It was a war crime. I mean, this is a 70-year-old Mexican-American kid from Boone, Iowa, who was killed that way. So my family's always sacrificed for this country. And I was even scheduled to be in the Marines. I, um, I signed up for the officer training program and I was going to be a second lieutenant. And in the last minute, the recruiter said something that he shouldn't have said. He said, wow, you're going to have to get in really good shape. Get those arms going because, man, you'll be doing push-ups for hours and going through this mud and a bar. And, he was just, and I was like, that doesn't sound like fun. And then 
the same day, I got I got cast at the Old Globe Theater in the uh, Globe Education program, whatever it was. Uh-huh. And so I was like, okay, Romeo or Mud? Romeo <laughs> or Mud? And my dad actually said to me, he goes, you know, Rick, everyone in my family served. I've been over there. Your brother's in the, in the, in the military. We've had enough. Do something that makes people laugh because you're funny. Wow. And that, it talked me out of it. But I went overseas to entertain the troops years later, Dio Garcia, because I felt I still owed. And that's why I look at guys like that, of Trump and people like that, as you go, they've never served. I mean, I, my dad couldn't say at Bronesburg, he was in Vietnam. He was in Vietnam. He had actually been out of the military, came as a, as a contractor to fix the, the helicopters when they were damaged. So he went over to Vietnam for overtime. Now, that's a Mexican work ethic. So <laughs> when I see people put down Mexicans, I go, how can you? Our food's great. Our people are fun. You know, it's like we make our lives better. San Diego, being on the border is a weird place because you got all these different people. And so you learn to work things out and get along and all that. And I came from theater. So my, my first job was the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. So I was a classical actor. So I have had that weird eclectic life. And I think comedians have that. I mean, you, you've done everything. I mean, all the shows you've worked on from, from Golden Girls to just the recent one you were doing. Nicole Sullivan um, and I, I look at that and then I go you have that background because we were talking that in Palm Springs you go you know you've you've experienced prejudice yeah. you're listening to the Nahara in America podcast the podcast that isn't afraid to tell it like it is to people who aren't afraid to hear like it is you can listen to us on Revolver Podcasts or wherever you find your finer podcasts stay tuned we'll be right back We all are far more similar than different in the, in the end. It's just the difference is the comedy. And then you saw the recent uh, thing that just came out two mm-hmm. years ago about the over 500 kids that they can't connect with their families. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was something like 548, but the, the administration said, no, it's like... It's yeah. more than 545. We all know that. We all know that. <laughs> you know? This is like, and then they came back and said, well, it was really like 488. You know, it's like... It's not like selling a car, like it's only, you know, 1999 you know, it's like, no, these are human beings. These are, are, are people. That but just, they purposely did this. Yeah. To yeah. harm purposely. them. Yeah. They knew. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff Sessions knew. Um, 
you know, uh, they all did. They all did. And they said, and I think it was on tape saying the more they cry, the less chance more more of them will come over. Like, I know. We're going to torture them. That was the impetus when I was just feeling so helpless. You know, what can I do? And then I happened to see uh, a CNN report where they said a Jewish woman was uh, hiding a Latina mom and her two daughters when her husband was suddenly deported by ICE. And I was like, we are literally living in the times of Anne Frank. And then all these bells went off in my head and went, wait a minute, what if I cast everyone in the attic with Latinx actors? Mm-hmm. I was like, either that's the craziest idea or the most brilliant. And no, I-, I, I waited till the sun rose and then I started calling friends and they were all like, stop whatever you're doing and do this. And, um, and that's when I did it, started it in 2018. And um, it was very interesting because a lot of the actors, um, well, as you know, you're, you're a yeah. theater actor. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just thanking me for this opportunity because their resumes were very thin. They just didn't get to play meaty parts. And the young girl that I got, um, who was only 15 at the time, she didn't even know who Anne Frank was. Wow. I'm writing a book now with Sanjeev Chopra, and it's about writing and speaking. And one of the things I said, I said, what writing does, it gives you immortality. Anne Frank didn't die. Someone can pick up her words and hear these brilliant words from a a 13-year-old girl. And that was what was so great because we were doing this for so many schools. We would get these big school groups. And a lot of these kids had never seen a play before. Yeah. And then the beauty that they were seeing literally... 15 and 16 year old kids, their contemporaries in the leading roles tell this story um, was, was so cool. And we had a lot of Latinx uh, schools come and, mm-hmm. uh, and we had always had a Holocaust survivor come and talk and they treated the survivors like rock stars yeah. and they went to, you know, selfies with them. And, and it was, I just, that's, What's been so horrible? Another another reason why this year has been so horrible is that we had planned to do many more uh, school shows oh. uh, in a bigger theater. Uh, we were doing it at a fifty. We started a fifty theater in um, on Santa Monica, Santa Monica Boulevard as part of Theater Row at the complex. Um, mm-hmm. I know Hollywood. The, I know the complex. And, and we were supposed to do it. in... You, you've been there. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you've been on those stages. Yeah. And then we were supposed to do it at a three hundred seat theater at the Colony Theater in Burbank in April. Mm-hmm. And then COVID. Uh, but last November, we were invited to a big theater festival in Vancouver. And somehow I managed to get my very large cast up there. And we just had an amazing time up there. And, you know, a lot of the cast, especially the kids, were like, Vancouver is so beautiful. We want to stay. Oh, it's beautiful. Like, well, your parents wouldn't like that. So I have to bring you back here. Yeah. yeah. We have this underground economy, underground people. And it's not people aren't realizing they are building our country. They are, they are the ones that are making us, uh, they're making really America great. And that's the ones that were the first ones attacking. And so it is heartbreaking. Well, I have one of the actors in my show couldn't go to Canada because their lawyer said, if you go, you may not be able to come back. Yeah. And she just called me crying. And, and I was just, you know, this is my country that's doing this, you know, to her and to us. And it, it you know, I mean, that's why if you see her, and the arts, we can educate and provoke discussion. When I started doing this play, even, and I'm Jewish, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of my Jewish friends were like, how dare you? And you're, you know, you, you doing this, this is Anne Frank's story. And I was like, just come see it. My whole story is about putting your feet into other people's shoes. 
Yeah. And through the play, although we start out in modern times, it slowly turns from black and white into color and, and into period colored costumes mm-hmm. and hair and makeup. So they literally, I obviously have Wizard of Oz damage, but um, yeah. that way you really get to feel what it what it is like um, to have been living in that experience. And, you know, now today, I mean, more people we've all experienced having to hide for months on end. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not like Anne Frank. And when I started this also, people were, um, you know, how dare you compare it to World War II, you know, and then now people like AOC and a lot of people have seen there are similarities or, and I'm not saying it's exactly like it, but how can we learn from it so it doesn't become exactly like it? Exactly. You're doing the preventative. I mean, it's like you go, if you look at the history of World War II, you go, well, if the world would have been astounded and outraged when the, in the Nazis, you know, invaded Poland. And, you know, it's like there was an appeasement that was going on. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're going to stop. I remember asking my parents as a kid, it's like, well, what did you know about? Because they send me to Sunday school, which I hated, mm-hmm. but I would learn about the Holocaust. And I'd come home and I was like, but why didn't you do anything? And what did you know? And, you know, and so now we're living in the times where now we know. So what are we going to do? Yeah. And also, you know, there were there were people that were next to Auschwitz and uh, they said, oh, we never knew about this. We didn't know this was going because the, the, they were forced to go through the camp and see what was happening. After I went to Dachau. No. I, for some reason, I was like, I have to go see it. And people are like, that's like where you're taking your vacation. I was like, I just need to. And you you, uh, you fly into Munich, and then you take a train from downtown Munich out to Dachau. Mm-hmm. And there's all these signs, because literally the city is across the street from the camps. Yeah. And there's all these signs saying, we didn't know. I'm like, you didn't smell burning flesh? Like, how can you not have known? It's They, they knew. They just didn't want yeah. to know. That's That seems to be the problem. Just like the people that look and go, well, there's kids in cages, but, you know, they know. They don't want to hear the crime. Yeah, or, they, well, their parents shouldn't have brought them here. Yeah. And, like, I had a big discussion with a very rich person, a uh, Republican, I'm sure, in mm-hmm. uh, Florida. And I, and I just appealed to her as a mother, and I said, it, just think, what would you do if your kids were harmed or your your husband was beheaded. What would you do with your kids? She goes, I would get out of there as soon as possible. I said, that's all it is. Yeah. And she suddenly, her eyes opened. It's like, oh, so she hadn't really thought about, you know, if she had been in that situation, you would just you want a better life. And that's what America's supposed to be about. Winston Churchill said, it takes a lot of courage to stand up and talk. And, and it take, also takes a lot of courage to sit down and listen. So I, I applaud what you're doing with Anne Frank. It's actually keeping the world alive. Well, I hope we can do it more. And, um, you know, but people got to start putting masks on so we can, uh, as I say, masks up, uh, curtains up. Yeah. I want to be back, you know, and I'm sure, you know, with your comedy, you want to be in comedy stores and clubs. And, you know, it's very hard to see, you know, these huge rallies and everyone going to restaurants and parties in other cities. And, and we're hunkering down and our business is pretty much shut down. Yeah. No, no it's, end in sight. You're doing an incredible job. And and so we're going to have to, you know, keep telling these stories, keep going forward. And um, I, you know what it is? I get, I get so emotional. Uh, <laughs> I just have but, to, you know, we saw that with, you know, the Black Lives Matter marches. They kept saying there were with people of all colors and all ages. And I hope that's the future and the future of entertainment, that we're not... Just these segregated, you know, the white shows, the 
black show, though it, it should be everybody and everybody, everybody on staff. And that's, I feel like that hopefully can be the next wave. And that's how we can come together with common ideas and where, where do we intersect rather than just all being in our own corners and afraid to talk. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's the solution. I always ask people on the show, it's like, what world do you want to see and how do we get there? Um, and I think what you're talking about is community, communication, and looking for parts that we can agree on and looking for parts how we can go forward. So um, I want to keep this continue this conversation going on with you. Stan, you're, you're an amazing man, um, a great artist. I love having you on the show and I love talking to you. And uh, I'm definitely going to send you I'm some so stuff. I'm so glad we met and, I, and I, I look forward to getting to know you better and then hopefully one day working together. I would love that. Thank you for coming on Nahara in America. Stan Zimmerman, everybody. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast. The podcast that isn't afraid to tell it like it is to people who aren't afraid to hear like it is. You can listen to us on Revolver Podcasts or wherever you find your finer podcasts. Join us next week for more on Nahara in America.